Welcome to Feminists Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting fire hose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week we begin by venting about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we'll end with something hopeful. And just a reminder, if you're enjoying us, to rate, review, subscribe, recommend us. Um, it really helps other people discover us. And, you know, we always welcome feedback or communication on our social media. We are at FWM Podcast on Twitter um, and Facebook.com slash FWM Podcast. And then we are Feminists Without Mystique on Instagram. And you can support us on Ko-fi um, by searching Feminists Without Mystique. Uh, one positive review we loved was from Aidy Vock. Um, it was a five-star review that said, oh, hell yes. I don't have a lot of time to listen to podcasts, so I look for shows that both entertain me and teach me something. This show definitely does both. Love the hosts, love the energy, and love that you hate Mitch McConnell as much as I do. Yeah, we do. We do. do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well... Happy, we're recording on a Monday. Happy Monday, Tuesday. We're, um... Here we are. Here we are, getting into, uh... We're going to be tackling Israel and Palestine uh, today. Yeah, yeah. what's going on? And I do just want to say from the get-go, um, at least on my end, I will be critical of the Israeli government. That is not um, criticism of Jewish people or Judaism by any means. Um, so I just wanted to... <laughs> throw that out there from the get-go yeah this topic i think puts every single person who talks about it on edge uh including us because it's just like a really messy situation and it doesn't criticizing leaders and um militant groups doesn't mean that you're criticizing the people who the inhabitants exactly it's it's thorny it's thorny but not it's not that complicated, but it is complicated. <laughs> but it's not that complicated. Apartheid. Um, anyway, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah. Um, so we saw that the Supreme Court's going to be, uh, before we get into Israel and Palestine, mm. um, they're going to be considering a case in what state? Maria? Mississippi. Oh, of course. M-I-S-S-I. Is that my baby? About making um, it illegal to get abortions after 15 weeks, I believe. Correct. So putting Roe v. Wade on the chopping block. Shocker. We didn't see this one coming with ACB and Cavi Cav and all those fuckers. <sighs> It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, you know, fuck that. Uh, we knew about this. This has been one of those things we were ringing the alarm bells from Neil Gorsuch, who, you know, from Neil Gorsuch to Brett Kavanaugh to Amy Coney Barrett, Trump put three people, uh, three people who, two of whom were like just really on, on their face, not qualified to be on the Supreme Court. And we might now, um, you know, we see the results of that. Uh, I think um, that, you know, and just a reminder, and Aaron uh, Gloria Ryan posted this on Twitter earlier today, a reminder that if the Supreme Court rules in a way that overturns Roe v. Wade in the case it just agreed to take, 10 states have laws on the books that, it, that would immediately ban abortion, and nine additional states have abortion bans on the books that predated Roe. Um, she commented under it, Susan Collins doodles the word concerned onto a scrap piece of paper. <laughs> we are all concerned. Yeah, it's like, 
just a special little fuck you. I thought about doing this as a we see you, like last minute we see you to Susan Collins, who was, as people will remember, or if not, we're reminding you that she was the uh, deciding vote on this um on appointing Kavanaugh and she Mm. said that she trusted him that he would uphold uh, women's right to choose and Supreme Court precedent and I think she's about to look like her biggest asshole moment yet so yeah thrilling she's got a she's got a collection of those by now so (laughs) saying something yeah Susie why'd you trust why'd you trust him yeah so we'll be on the we'll be watching that <laughs> uh, seeing what happens because uh, as we were talking about um, before we when Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed when ACB was confirmed like it's all well and good to have a Democrat in as president and you know having control in, in some of the branches but it doesn't I mean once you got when we have the Supreme Court it can kind of um, <laughs> do away with all of that because they can make decisions like this so we'll they see. Can. Or maybe they won't. We'll see what they do. I'm just very fucking nervous about it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Very nervous. Very much not wanting to pass this precedent down to the next generation and um, fuck all of the people who are like, they're this, you know, Trump and Hillary are the same. It's like this is one of those many real world ways in which they are not because he got three conservative justices and they will get to pass a generation's worth of conservative precedent. Yeah, luck. So not the same, but <laughs> thanks for playing. <laughs> thanks for playing. <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess diving in. Um, yeah. So where to begin? Where to begin? Uh, I suppose. Do you want to start in 1948? Yeah, it's a good yeah. place. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, yeah. good place. Good place as any. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what has been referred to as knock. Uh, Nakba Day, um, which is kind of considered something that continues on, um, that's when hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were displaced. Um, so the state of what we now know as Israel could come into being um, between 1947 and 1949, about 750,000 Palestinians out of a population of 1.9 million. So a, a big chunk were expelled from their towns, their villages to make way for the new uh Jewish immigrants. And most of these Palestinians fled to neighboring countries where they settled as refugees. And those people and their, you know, families are still not allowed back. So that's kind of how, how it all, uh, how it all began. And of course, after, you know, World War II, um, you know, it's understandable that Jewish people would want a, a refuge. Um, But what some people don't realize is when, when Israel was sort of formed, it involved the displacement of many, 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 many Palestinians. Um, and over the years, there have been more Palestinians displaced, um, you know, Israeli settlements being formed where it was supposed to be by international law, Palestinian land. Um, recently and over the years, Palestinians have been kicked out of the homes that they've lived in for for decades um, just, just completely kicked out of them. Um, and in modern day, there's kind of, so in Israel, throughout Israel, there are Palestinians, there are Israelis, there are people of different faiths. Um, but Jerusalem was split into East and West and, you know, kind of split between Israeli and Palestinian, but everywhere is ruled by the Israeli government. Um, Israelis have the same rights, privileges, and legal status, regardless of where they are. 
the boundaries aren't really visible or pertinent to them. Whereas Palestinians are divided into four areas and they have different sort of ID cards and different um, different rules that apply to them based on where they are. So there's the West Bank, which has 2.7 million um, Palestinians. And it's divided into, it's not just like this one area, it's divided into 165 disconnected areas. And those are divided by Israeli military checkpoints, walls, um, settlements, other infrastructure. And Palestinians there have no civil rights. In East Jerusalem, which has about 400,000 Palestinians, they can move around freely. Um, they're not allowed to vote. Uh, Israel can take away the right to live there. And they can't take part in Israeli or Palestinian politics. And Palestinians who are citizens of Israel, which is the largest, the largest um, land, can move relatively freely, but they have restrictions on where they can live. They can vote in Israeli elections, but they do face legalized discrimination. Um, they're kind of... They're not kind of their second class citizens there. And so it's Israel's basically kind of become this occupying force to the Palestinians that live there. Um, they have a presence all throughout and their land keeps getting annexed, houses bulldozed so that Israelis can can settle it. So there is and there is, of course, like religious conflict. That's an element. But it's it's more, I think, of a settler, colonial ethno state kind of vibe They're they're, it's kind of described as open air prison, um, like the Palestinians in Gaza, particularly, they don't get access to like medicine coming in, clean water, very limited electricity, I think four hours a day. Um, and we'll get more into what's happening now with the, the bombings and the bombing of a media station or not a media station, but a building that houses media like Al Jazeera, um, the civilian casualties, the uh, disproportionate just civilian casualties on one side versus the other, um, disproportionate use of, I mean, the Palestinians have no military and no army, nothing, no navy, whereas Israel has one of the strongest militaries in the world. And we give them, I think it's $3.8 billion toward that every year. Um, so that's just part of the sort of historical context framework. It's hard to kind of, um, to summarize cleanly because there is, there's more to it than that. Um, but that's a bit of a starting point. Do you have anything you want to add to that before we get into kind of what's been happening recently and, you know, what's been happening recently over there and kind of what the public reaction has been? That was a wonderful summary. Um, so oh, thank um, you. I was trying to organize my notes. No, it started as a pile of all kinds of things. Uh, your notes are much more impress impressively organized than mine on this. Um, I guess just a note, which a couple of just like pretty obvious things to just remind people uh, that you know, 1947, 48. Obviously, it's in the wake of. World War II and the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. So there was this sentiment of wanting to make sure that there was a place um, which had religious, religious and cultural significance for um, Jews after after the Holocaust. Um, and so there was this desire globally to. I mean, ma make things right feels like an incredible oversimplification, but I think that's, so that's part of how there was this like land seizure. Mm -hmm. Um, it seemed like it was on top of, uh, you know, because 
the British controlled a lot of that land because uh, of colonial, you know, colonialism, which, you know, it's a product of a lot of like a lot of uh, atrocities that happened in the 40s and plus colonialism equals clunky land distribution and taking away land seizure, stolen land situation that happened in 1948. Um which I'm sure everyone can just put together, but it's like, I guess, I guess, um, kind of like a piece of just part of the reason why, why, why Israel was, was created, um, was just obviously in reaction to, um, the genocide, um, of world war two. Um, and then was there anything else? Uh, no, I think that was, that's, that's it. That brings us, yeah, and I think that is important to to mention and have that context. Um, these people were, you know, fleeing persecution, but then in turn, and I'm not saying these people, but the the government sort of turned around and persecuted Palestinians. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a fucked up situation. Uh, yeah, to uh, to put it lightly, and so recently, um, I mean, as of. Last night, Sunday, last night was Sunday, May 16th. Um, there had been 192 Palestinians killed so far, including 58 children um, versus 10 Israelis, um, which is not to say, you know, I, I think it's important to point out the discrepancies um, mm-hmm. because there's been this talking point um, from Netanyahu and from the United States, uh, mm. you know, some predom- prominent politicians um, that... Israel is acting in self-defense and Hamas had fired rockets, many rockets from Gaza after Israel had started, um, you know, their attacks. But Israel has this thing, what's it called? The the Iron Iron Dome. Dome. Yes, the Iron (laughs) Dome, which means that almost none of the rockets get through. It's basically rockets. They have rockets that hit the other rockets and blow up those rockets which yeah. sounds, sounds like quite a simple solution, you know, just throw more rockets at rockets, but it actually works. Um, so they, even though these rockets are being fired, they're not effective, you know, whereas like I, I said, the numbers of Palestinians that have been killed, largely civilians, a huge chunk of them children. Um, mm-hmm. It's just completely uneven. Um, it's not a both sides kind of situation. You know, it's kind of like, when people say all lives matter, you know, it's like, well, who's, who's being disproportionately targeted right now? Um, and there's this, uh, great sort of infographic. I'm not going to read all the numbers from it, but it shows from 2008 to 2020. Yes. The years that it has is yes. The, yes. (laughs) The, uh, Palestinian versus Israeli deaths. Um, you know, in 2020, I'll just do a few years. Uh, 2020 was 2,781 Palestinian deaths or injuries and 61 Israeli. 2019, 15,628 Palestinian deaths and injuries versus 133 Israeli. 2018, 31,558 deaths and injuries versus 134 Israeli. And when you look at all of them, there's not a single year that it's even close. Um, No. It's... Uh, let's see, I think they have, oh yeah, the total deaths um, from 2008 to 2020. It's not injuries, but total deaths for Palestinian would be 5,590 versus 251 Israeli. Of course, this is before um, the hundreds of deaths that we've seen in recent, um, in recent days. So it's, 
it's not uh, it's not an equal both sides kind of kind of situation. And uh, when Israeli military fighter jets attacked the um, let's see the Al Jala Tower in Gaza City, um, they toppled this building that housed. Um, the International Bureaus for Al Jazeera, the Associated Press, the London's Middle East Eye, all these journalistic operations, in addition to residences and offices. Um, you know, this, there's this one, I mean, it's one story, but there are lots of stories that we're not hearing. Um, there's this man who worked as a teacher, saved all his money to buy an apartment in that building that he could give to his kids, um, worked for decades for it. Now that's gone. Um, and there are so many families who have lost their homes forever. Um, so many children that have died, so many civilians that have died. And this attack on a media building, I mean, <laughs> and the attack on civilians, these are war crimes. Mm -hmm. And they said that they believed Hamas had a headquarters there, which they're saying for like everywhere they're attacking. Um, there's nothing corroborating this other than their word. Um, and even if it were the case, there are still civilians there and just... And the Israeli government is saying that they usually warn uh, the Palestinian people before they bomb them, which mm -hmm. is like, I guess, better than not. But also not bombing them would be great. Um, and it's also important to know that the majority of Palestinians in Gaza are not part of Hamas. Mm -hmm. um, they're if, you know, with the, the logic that Hamas is a terrorist group, that means that Palestinians are also victims of their activity. Mm -hmm. And so... All the Israeli government is doing is further terrorizing the the people of Gaza, the Palestinians there. Mm -hmm. um, it's not <laughs> it's not it's not the right thing to do to put it to put it lightly, you know. Right, right. Yeah, to put it lightly, it's there's also um, there's was a recent 2020 um, study. Uh, frontiers in psych psychi psychiatry, uh, child and adolescent psychiatry uh, on trauma and PTSD in Palestinian children and adolescents, 88.4% uh, experienced personal trauma, 83.7% witnessed trauma to others, 53.5% of these children met the criteria for PTSD. Um, you know, there was a video circulating online of a 10 year old who was like, I'm 10, you know, what am I supposed to be doing exactly? You know, you, you, deal with this um there's what like 2.8 million people in 2.8 mil million palestinians in gaza it's one of the most densely populated um places in the world actually um and when you're talking about that many people um and then saying hamas uses there's sort of a the talking point of hamas using Palestinians um, and civilians as human shields that keeps getting repeated by Net Netanyahu. And it's um, largely really just that, just kind of like a propaganda point. It doesn't seem like, um, it seems like, yes, sometimes they house their weapons or they house things in, in buildings that have resident, you know, are residential um, or have other businesses, but also it's a densely packed area. So like wherever they're going to be is going to not be far from a lot of human beings um, just practically. Um, but I also think it's important, like you said, to echo that I don't think Palestine has had um, or like th they haven't had any elections in Gaza or like to pick their leadership in since 2006 or 2009, one of those. Yeah. Um, so it's not like they are, 
again, like we're talking about like hum- the human cost, the human toll of this, this conflict. Um, and, and, uh, over the course of the last, like, 20 or 30 years, what it seemed, or at least in doing, in doing research, um, and trying to understand because it does, there is such a, an Israeli, um, bias, uh, or an, a bias towards the is- Israeli government in the United States, which hasn't really ever made sense to me. Um, I had a history teacher who took us all the way back to the conflict of like birth with Ishmael and, um, and, who had the birthright, you know, the, basically like the difference between like the, 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 the schism between, um, Islam and Judaism and anyway, like all the way back to the beginning. Um, but what it seems like we really need to kind of come to terms with. And, and, and I thought Ben Rhodes, um, who, talked about they he and Tommy Vitor talked about it on Pod Save the World last week. Um is com- basically come up with different language to talk about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And um, because we've had a lot of this stale diplomatic language or faux diplomatic language, it's actually been incredibly destructive to one side, the Palestinians. Um, but the discussions around um, a two-state solution and both sides have the right, to, or like Israel has the right to defend itself, but both sides need to de-escalate. It's, it's these outdated talking points that, that assume a power equivalence when in fact there's incredibly, the power dynamic has never been more off balance and it has shifted um, overwhelmingly in kind of modern American history, modern, modern global history um, so that there is a huge amount of momentum, political power, global support. Um, you know, the U.S. provides over $10 billion per year in military aid to Israel and support, not to mention just like a lot of soft, soft support in terms of our language and the way that we really don't get involved in their um, violence and their sort of the structural racism and, and, um, disenfranchisement and ultimate like squeezing out of, of a whole group of people based on their religious beliefs. Um, so in practicality, Palestinians have very, very, very little agency. Um, and it's a, a, it's like three generations of incredibly traumatized, people with like spurts of horrendous violence. Um, and then a lot of casual violence, casual racism. Um, and there seems to be, and just in, in doing again, like looking into this for, you know, shamefully kind of the first time, you know, in my recent adult life, I mean, it's, it's, is just kind of, understanding the scope of the humanitarian needs um, and the way that the Palestinian people have been starved of, of assistance on a global scale and the way that the United States just has sort of like allowed that. And under, you know, the Kushner Abraham Accords, you know, Trump Kushner um, obviously did nothing to help because it was, super pro-Israel and like very much fly in the ointment in terms of trying to solve uh, the Middle East crisis. Good job, Jared. Just let's just, uh, just one more thing that you absolutely didn't help. Um, so, but anyway, just it, it's kind of crazy because I don't think that there's, I can't think of another 
longstanding global conflict that, um, I mean, the U.S. is on the wrong side of many, many conflicts across the world through, you know, at, at whatever moment. But this, um, I guess I, I have a really hard time understanding why we are clinging so desperately to support of the uh, Israeli government. Um, I Netanyahu, by the way, has his own political problems. Um, you know, so so the people of Israel and the people of Palestine, of Gaza and East Jerusalem, they don't have, they really don't have leadership that they can really trust. I don't, I don't think that Netanyahu's that actually that popular and he's under a lot of political pressure. He hasn't really been able to form a real government. Um, and so I, I don't, it's a, it's very hard then when you look at all this stuff and all the rampant, um, human rights abuses happening that that Biden would then basically say that he it, he would reiterate these old talking points that you know Gaza that that Israel has a right to defend itself and you know Biden said quote he he has seen quote no significant overreaction in the Israeli response to the Hamas missiles it's like we are assuming there's a power equivalency that it doesn't exist so I'm very just, again, I feel sometimes a little bit naive, but confused about how we find ourselves in this position. Yeah, we are very, the U.S. is really, really double, triple, quadrupling down. And, you know, more than I've seen in the past, they're maybe due in part to social media and the way that people can can spread the word, um, you know, and people in Palestine on the ground can, send, can show people what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it does seem like I'm seeing a lot more pro-Palestine discourse from American citizens. But like you said, from Biden, it's just kind of like the same old, the same old line of, you know, yes, they should be able to defend themselves. It's like, have you looked at, have you looked at this little line graph, (laughs) Joe, that shows like, have you thought about the discrepancy in power? And you have these, you know, these fully armed Israeli soldiers occupying these areas where Palestinians have you know, rocks, like there's nothing, they don't have an army. Um, it's not, it's not a self-defense kind of thing. And, uh, the, the UN had like a meeting for, uh, basically calling for us, trying to call for a ceasefire, this UN security council mm-hmm. and the U S opposed it. Whereas like 14 countries supported it, you know, including mm-hmm. China and France, Vietnam, United Kingdom, even Russia, Kenya, Ireland, all kinds of places. Um, but the U.S. was like, no, we're just like in Netanyahu's pocket. Um, and I mean, Israel's a massive market for U.S. arms sales for the United States. Well, obviously U.S. for the United States. They're they quite a nuclear um, powerhouse, Israel is. They, you know, keep our quote unquote enemies um, like Iran in check. They're a staging ground for military operations that wouldn't be seen as appropriate for the U S to engage in directly, like most recently with Syria. Um, they've, we just, we have a lot of, a lot staked in Israel, um, politically and financially. And it just seems like, uh, it gives me vibes of Trump and Putin, like the, the Biden and Netanyahu vibes. It's very like, this is very clearly a, 
a really fucked up situation when you look at the facts and you look at what's happening and mm-hmm. you are not giving even an inch, you know, it just, it makes him seem delusional. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and at this point it seems like public, the public tides are turning a bit and he's still like, I don't know what it's going to take for him to change what he's saying and what his, you know, platform is like even have like Mina Harris, like Kamala's sister speaking out against it. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the the squad, including AOC, speaking out against it. Apparently, John Oliver um, spoke out against it last night. Although when I went to look um, this morning on HBO, the episode hadn't been posted yet. And oh, normally it's posted catchy. immediately. And it showed the most recent one as the one from a week ago. Um, that's so odd. Yeah. So I'm curious about that. Um, why that's not up. <laughs> I'm wondering... Uh, there's some censorship going on there or something because normally they're posted right away um because i sometimes mondays before work i watch but wasn't wasn't up yet but we do have these prominent um figures speaking out and of course we do have some people kind of towing the old lines but yeah i just uh yeah i just checked again and as of 1 p.m pacific time on monday the john oliver episode is still not a still not there that's so weird. And I, I haven't watched the episode either yet. It's it's on my list for this evening. But um, I thought I saw it up last night No, um, in the roster. Well, because Mayor of Easttown and then the Nevers and then John Oliver is kind of the current Sunday night lineup. But we only watched Mayor of Easttown last night. Um, Kate Winslet. Amazing. Um, but uh, we yeah. So that would be so interesting because it did say like new, but then I can't, can't verify because I did not click on it. Maybe it was like new this tonight coming up and wasn't posted. That is super kind of weird. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Um, and people were posting clips from when they had watched it on mm-hmm. Twitter and stuff, but I can't find the actual episode yet. So I don't know what's going on with that. Well, um, you know what else is so sort of sketchy? Like, it feels like there is this weird suppression of rhetoric, like pro-Palestinian rhetoric, or that the people who are trying to advocate for just like basic human lives mattering. There's been a lot of, or at least I feel like I've seen a lot on Twitter um, of of AOC and the squad call this apartheid, you know, and like uh, they say that Israel's committing human rights abuses, but it's like a lot of the major sort of um, like human rights watch specifically, but other, other organizations that are global humanitarian organizations, it seems to be that there has been a consensus reached amongst those who are, I don't know, the human rights watch watchers of the world experts. Although I don't think it takes an expert when you're seeing these videos on Twitter, it feels like, but both experts and, and common sense would suggest that this is, uh, an apartheid situation. This is a suppression of a, um, a minority group. Uh, I like was looking up sort of the definition of apartheid, um, segregation, institutionalized racial segregation, um, characterized by authoritarian political culture um, or like some sort of supremacy um, dominated a domination politically, socially, economically by a uh, a minority population against the majority in in the case of South Africa, which is what Wikipedia was referencing. But um, 
it does feel like the more I understand of what's happening on the ground in terms of access to like even utilities and um, free movement to the airports or to countries' borders, um, and not to mention the fact that there's like Hamas throws like missiles, and again indiscriminately in a lot of cases, and in, in a um, the. Uh, I won't be able to find this this article by The Atlantic, which was great, um, of course, in my many tabs open. But there, um, The Atlantic had a really great article where they were like, look, we should as a country be able to and I mean, as a global community, but be able to have complicated conversations wherein we are not condoning and by by again, by a, a barometer of what a, a global understanding of a terrorist organization is, Hamas fits that description. So you can condemn Hamas as a as a organization that indiscriminately fires missiles and part of I think the thing that is te- that terrorizes the Israeli people is is not knowing, you know, it's the randomness of where the hell are the, is this missile going to strike, you know, and the chaos is part of the terror. Um but they have an iron dome. They've been able to deflect a lot of these missiles. They also have a lot more um, sophisticated and 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 uh, powerful weaponry that they deploy relentlessly. So it's it is not just the squeezing out and the the evictions and the attacks on on important religious um, sites uh, like the Aqsa Mosque, um, which was one of those incidents last week. I think that there was a lot of part of the fact that the violence basically happened because there was, um, because the end of Ramadan coincides coincided this year with, um, the, is it called Israel day? That day where there's like the, the nationalist conservative, um, group in Israel that has like the day that they, in 1967, where they won like the six day war or whatever, where they took even more power from, Palestinians, um, I guess that day coincides with the end of Ramadan, which coincided with um, this case that the Israel Supreme Court has now punted another month where they're trying to decide what is supposed to happen to these these six Palestinian families that Israel is trying to evict, which follows a pattern, like a years-long pattern, of evicting Palestinian families on land that is supposed to be theirs even after you know the state of Israel was set up. The encroachment of Israel keeps happening and they keep trying to push people out of East Jerusalem. Um, and this is six more families that are saying like, this is our, this is our home and you are kicking us out. And then there's just Israeli people. There was like a video of this guy who was like, if I don't steal it, someone else is going to steal it, which is like, no one, like, can we just all agree that that is like not firm ground to stand on, man? You know, it's not, be stealing homes from people and it's like and when we say eviction we don't mean it in, in, in it's like in the united states where it's like the landlord who owns the property kicks you out it's like no this other person who has no claim over your property says you got to get the fuck out of there you know mm-hmm. um there's also been you know uh, tear gas dropped on on palestinians um rubber bullets shot at palestinians in addition to of course the the bombings there's just I don't know how how this is going to end, um, but I hope that 
you know, with what we're seeing in terms of the activity on social media and around the world, that hopefully there will be some sort of justice for Palestinians at some point, because right now it's just, you know, it feels like a, like a genocide and like a slaughter. And, um, what are these, what are they supposed to do? Like you said, that video of that 10 year old girl who's, neighbor's house had just gotten bombed and their family inside had died, including children. And she's just crying and saying like, she wishes she could help. She wishes she could be a doctor, but she's 10 years old. What she's supposed to do. And so many of the, I think close to half the population of Gaza is children. Um, it's a largely, largely children, largely refugees. Um, these are, these are the people that are being, you know, bombed relentlessly. So it's, um, it's a human rights atrocity. Yeah, it is. And um, there's videos of the Israeli police raid on the Al-Aqsa um, mosque in Jerusalem. There are um, the, there's a lot of videos of just recent brutalities um, of Israeli police against Palestinians. Uh, it is, like you say, it's a human rights atrocity. Um, I don't really... There are certain things that are complicated about the relationship between Israel and Palestine and like go back that go back to are <laughs> they're as old as as the religions themselves. But um one thing that's that I think makes us extra um sad and frustrating in this moment is it's just it's it's a conflict, a years, decades, hundreds of years old conflict coming to a head again because uh, sins of our forefathers and mothers, uh, you know, sins of our ancestors, um, sins of colonialism, violence and and um, chaos that's been stoked by um, the generations before us. Uh, and just because that is the world that we live in and we deal with it, we're trying to deal with it with race relations in the United States specifically, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that, uh, that's how we have to move forward. But I do think that an important step when we talk about it with like race in the U S and I think it's important with the violence going on in the middle East is you can't fix something if you don't acknowledge absolutely what is happening, the truth of what's happening. Um, And I think Palestinians kind of like drawing uh, comparisons to Black Lives Matter movement, it's, they are desperate first, first and foremost for safety for themselves. Um, But for a validation, non-gaslighty response from the world. And that premier among that world would be the United States, which is supposed to be a global leader. Uh, So we have a responsibility to all those that are um, experiencing this, like this violence, this, you know, unrelenting violence here um, to just to call it out and say, it's absolutely, you know, it's not okay. And not to go along with this sort of like, blind pro-Israel, pro-Israeli government, again, important to be sort of careful about that, but like pro-Israeli government um, attitude, because it doesn't really make any sense. It's not at all responsive to what is happening. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like what started as a religious conflict is now this it's like it's become ethnic cleansing. You know, it's become the settler colonialism um, and we need to to call it for what it is. And hopefully, I don't know, stop giving so much fucking money to this really government uh, for all of these these arms. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was in Italy that some some workers who were, you know, loading up shipments to be sent. Uh, they were supposed to be loading up weapons to be sent to Israel and they refused. Um, you know, that's just one example of people standing up and, and doing what they believe is right. Um, and I think also just all of us, you know, educating ourselves, particularly those of us in the U.S. who have been kind of fed this pro-Israeli government um, story throughout our lives, Um should really, you know, look into it and do the research and see what's really going on. Um, you know, spread the word, help any way that you can. But we've we owe so much more to the Palestinian people than we've given them. Um, the least of which is, you know, understanding and acknowledging what's going on, the real the reality of the situation. Yes, absolutely. All right. <laughs> Woo. Woo. Uh, anyway, but feel free to reach out to us with, a, you know, if we missed something critical, um, you know, I'd be interested to hear people's thoughts and feelings and, you know, anything else. It's, this is obviously like a brief, this kind of like a summary based on some reading and, you know, but I'd love to hear more from people. <sighs> and now for We See You. All right, Bill Gates. Um, Get into it. <laughs> come out that Bill has partaken in some um, sketchy, to put it lightly, behavior over the years. And that was part of the reason why Melinda wanted to get a divorce. And there had been things that kind of alluded to her not liking the fact that he spent any time with Jeffrey Epstein. Um, but more has come to light. Um, so... In 2006, for example, so him and Melinda Gates got married in 1994. Um, suppose, like, had a monogamous relationship, we're supposed to. In 2006, uh, Bill Gates attended a presentation by a Microsoft employee um, who was a woman, and he left the meeting, Bill did, and immediately emailed her to ask her out to dinner, um, according to two people who are familiar with the exchange. A year or two later, he was on a trip to New York on behalf of the Gates Foundation. Um, he was traveling with a woman who also worked for the foundation. He he told her, I want to see you. Will you have dinner with me? Um, and she, the woman who spoke on the condition of an- anonymity, said she didn't want public attention associated with describing an unwanted advance, said she felt uncomfortable, but laughed to avoid responding, which I think many of us can relate to that situation. But it goes beyond just those two stories. There's much more. Um, Six current and former employees of Microsoft um, said that those incidents and others more recently at times created an uncomfortable workplace environment, that Mr. Gates was known for making clumsy approaches to women in and out of the office, which is sort of one of those those things people knew and talked about on the hush-hush. And then in 2017, uh, there was a sexual harassment allegation against a close associate of Bill Gates. Uh, Mr. Larson, who had been his money manager for nearly three decades. Um, there was a woman who in, who hired a lawyer 
and said that Mr. Larson had been sexually harassing her according and three people corroborated that um, said that she had tried to handle the situation on her own without success and asked the Gateses for help. Um, she ended up reaching a settlement when she just and she signed an NDA. And while Bill Gates was like, all right, I'm cool. I'm done with this. Melinda Gates wanted there to be a an independent review of the allegations um, of the workplace culture there. Uh, Mr. Larson was put on leave, but eventually he was reinstated. Um, but that's sort of some of the, the friction that's come up between uh, Bill and Melinda based on Bill's actions. And then we get into Epstein. So <laughs> apparently... Um, so Bill Gates says that they barely had a relationship, met a few times, only discussed philanthropy. Um, but that's not the case, according to others. So apparently he flew on Mr. Epstein's, Mr. Epstein, Jeff's private jet, attended a late night gathering at his Manhattan home. Um, and Melinda didn't like that they were hanging out and wanted him to stop, but he continued to continue uh, hanging out with Jeff Epstein. Hmm. Um, great, and, great. <laughs> yeah, he continued to go to dinners and meetings at Mr. Epstein's home, where uh, uh, allegedly, uh, but I think uh, safe to say it's probably true, he was surrounded by young and attractive women. Um, and that was according to people who were there and to people who were told about the gatherings later. Uh, Miss Arnold, who's a representative for Bill Gates, said he never socialized or attended parties with Mr. Epstein, even though there are um, many eyewitnesses who <laughs> say that he did attend those parties. Um, so it just seems that uh, over the... Oh, and there was also an incident where um, Bill Gates had an affair with a, an employee at uh, Microsoft, mm -hmm. and he ended up being asked to leave the board of directors over that as well. So it's just this, um, there's this sort of a uh, pattern of behavior of making his, uh, the women that work for him, uh, very uncomfortable, making unwanted advances and just generally not being respectful of the women in the workplace environment. Mm -hmm. Um, in addition to some <laughs> sketchiness with Jeff Epstein and then trying to cover it up like not him coming out and saying like yeah I did go to some parties I went to his house for dinner it was stupid whatever but him just covering his tracks and just being like no it was all philanthropy I never went to his house when there are many eyewitness accounts that he was there and that there were young women maybe girls there um, it's just uh, it reeks <laughs> I don't think that uh, I think there's probably more to this than we even know so far but um for what we do know, uh, we see you to Bill Gates. We see you. Yeah, that article was a real humdinger. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh. Um, can't wait to see what Melinda French does uh, yes. on her own. Miss French. Miss French. Um, okay, so Marjorie Taylor Greene, one of the representatives from Georgia... We just, she just, she keeps coming uh, up until we see you. She's just really this, this wild insurrectionist, ignorant woman um, is truly one of the absolute worst that this country has, has created. Uh, so she, um, 
aggressively accosted um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, after the Capitol insurrection, shouting, you don't care about the American people. Why don't you, why do you support terrorists and Antifa before calling her pathetic and chicken? Um, That was sort of a recent aggressive thing. AOC ignored her and kept walking. And I think she made some comment on Twitter about these are exactly the type of people at bars that I have, that I used to have to like help escort out of the uh, bar. So she's used to it, um, which I loved. But so, but this is not the first, second, third, or like, hundredth time that um, Marjorie Taylor Greene has uh, taunted AOC, who seems to be her sole target for a lot of um, vitriol. And I, I genuinely worry violence. Um, there, uh, CNN's K file found a, a deleted video from February of 2019, which shows um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, who at that point was not a congressional representative. She was elected this in 2020. Um, so it shows Marjorie Taylor Greene um, and a bunch of people, a bunch of her friends. I don't know. She said, we're going to see, we're going to visit Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Crazy eyes, crazy eyes, nutty Cortez. Um, when the door was locked, she and her companions who had this, had video going and were having a great old time were like, come out, come out. Like you can't stand there forever. Come and play. It was like a very creepy, weird thing. Um, it wasn't clear whether or not AOC or or her staff or anyone was actually in there, but they were like opening the mail slot and like cooing into her office. And, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene said, um, AOC, I'm an American citizen. I pay your salary through the taxes that you collect for me through the IRS because I'm a tax paying citizen of the U S. So you need to stop being a baby, stop locking your door and come out and face the American citizens that you serve. If you want to be a big girl, you need to get rid of your diaper and come out and be able to talk to the American citizens instead of, uh, having to use a flap, a little flap, sad. Um, it was incredibly creepy. Um, and, uh, you know, as they, as they left one of her, no, I think Marjorie Taylor Greene herself was taunting bye-bye AOC. Bye-bye-bye baby. Bye little baby girl. She went and hid. She couldn't take it. (sighs) I just find this woman, um, concerning. Um, and, and AOC actually said, uh, you know, sure. Her response was that Marjorie Taylor Greene is quote, deeply unwell and clearly needs help. And her kind of fixation has lasted for several years now. Um, this quote raises concerns for other members. I think this is an assessment that needs to be made by a proper professional, which I thought was a really good move because a, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene obviously does have some sort of fixation with AOC. She's creating an unsafe work environment from her obvious and documented longstanding harassment. You know, she doesn't just harass AOC. There was a video last year, and I believe we made it, we made it a we see you that um, was also when Marjorie Taylor Greene was not elected yet. And she was just your random racist, crazy conservative, like step aunt. I don't know. That was her vibe. She was following David Hogg, one of the Park Parkland high schoolers who had survived a school shooting. And she was like, you're an actor. Show us your you know, credentials as an actor, you know, just following him around DC. And he was ignoring her class act, you know, but she has been 
trafficking in conspiracy theories. It's, it's She's a QAnon supporter and believer. And she's in Congress right now. What the fuck? We need to get her out, Northern Georgia. Uh. Um, so this is just, this is another, this is just a, we see you. This is a, this is a constant depressing and raging representation of like the lowest common denominator politician who's eating up a lot of space, a lot of air in Congress, not showing a basic level of respect or acknowledgement of reality to her constituents or to uh, her colleagues. So, and of course, you know, Kevin McCarthy, the leader, you know, my House Minority Leader is not really doing anything. You know, he, he doesn't have any, he's not really showing a leadership role. Can you imagine if AOC was like crooning outside of people's offices or shouting ever? Ever, if she ever shouted at one person in response, like that, that woman, AOC has, has so much self-control. I just, I mean, hats off permanently to her for keeping her cool and her like impeccable skincare routine in, in the face of absolutely crazy people. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, we see you. (laughs) Fucking Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's still there. She's still there. (laughs) We're tooting along. Maybe if she'd criticized Trump, she'd be kicked out. But as long as she's, God, she's awful. Okay, more awful. So apparent. So researchers have found out that just twelve people are responsible for the majority of the the misleading claims and lies about the COVID vaccines that are that you've probably seen if you've been on any social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, these people have been dubbed the disinformation dozen, and they produce 65% of the shares of anti-vaccine misinformation on social media platforms. 12 people are behind <laughs> a majority of all of this shit. Um, wow. These disinformation dozen include anti-vaccine activists, alternative health entrepreneurs. Um, some of them run multiple accounts across the different platforms. They often like claim that they're promoting quote unquote natural health. A lot of them sell things like supplements and books. You don't need a vaccine. Just buy my supplements. They just want your money. Those vaccine companies buy my supplements. <laughs> like, okay, Mimi, I see you. And it's, it's a little, uh, it's a little upsetting when you consider that many of the people who are not getting the vaccines are not doing or are, are choosing not to because they believe a lot of this information that's like proliferating out there. Um, they, many of these people have been spreading disproven medical claims and conspiracies for years. COVID vaccines, just their, their latest. Um, and social media hasn't taken them off their websites entirely, but they have started like labeling posts that are misleading, which you might've seen your, your friend's cousin share. <laughs> they, so they have been actually removing the, the blatant falsehoods, which is, which is good. Um, Twitter has taken two of them down for just repeated violation of the rules. Um, but they are also, they're trying to find ways around the rules so they can stay on. So they'll do stuff like in a video, instead of saying vaccine, they like hold up the V sign with their fingers. Mm. And they'll be like, if you've been around someone who has been and they hold up the V sign, you know, this might happen to you. Or they'll take something true and twist it into being not true. Like they'll incorrectly link a famous person's death and they'll say that oh they got the vaccine four weeks earlier that's why they died like it doesn't matter if it was a car crash that's why they died 
Um, and like I was mentioning, there is a slowdown of a huge slowdown of people getting vaccinated. There are people who are worried about the side effects. They have a lack of trust in the vaccines, lack of trust in the government. And these are the the fears that these disinformation doesn't play on. And like I said, many of them have a vested financial interest in spreading this shit because they'll, you know, sell you these quote unquote natural supplements that will give your immune system the boost it needs without those, you know, DNA shetty virus vaccines coming at you. It's just, it's so, I mean, it's so blatantly uh, silly to put it, uh, lightly that they are out there spreading this shit and people are choosing to trust these 12 people over the you know thousands if not like millions of scientists out there in the world that are saying like no the, the vaccine's what you want to do the vaccine's safe mm. now trust these these charlatans because they want to sell you supplements like no oh. thank you God. we see you to the disinformation doesn't doesn't and i hope that more can be done to stop their shit from spreading and to stop people from believing it. Like, God, stop believing it, you guys. We see you. Ugh, we see you. Stop believing it. Stop believing it. Ugh. And just like a total, yeah. Ugh. It's so frustrating and it's so prevalent. I feel like a lot of people who are consider themselves smart are also buying into this stuff, like, mm-hmm. you know, being uncredulous, <laughs> lack of credulity towards like the vac- adverse vaccine reporting system, you know, and, and like, Oh, well, like all these deaths that were reported. Uh, it's like, no, that's Ooh. just deaths. Like, uh, first of all, unmonitored, like people just report. And then through follow-up, it's like people, a lot of old people who have been vaccinated, would then maybe pass away after, but it's not a cause of the vaccine. It's like deaths, perhaps just who has died, like since being given the vaccine, maybe of old age because 8,000 people die in the U S on average per day. So if 4,000 people total over the course of like, you know, having gotten the vaccine have died, it is not a causal thing. Uh, Right. And it's like they call us like sheeple for believing in the vaccine and stuff. But it's like everyone believes in something. Why are you not sheep for following these 12 charlatans? Right. You know, you're just choosing to see yourself as this like educated, brilliant person who knows more about science than the people who went to years and years of school for science because you're special and you see something they don't see. It's like, no, honey, you're just like playing dress up and it's time to like take off your tinfoil hat and sit the fuck down yes thank you thank you (laughs) um this is a quick but you know trigger warning violence i feel like i should just say that when it's like super upset super 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 upsetting which is just like um there is uh in hopkinton massachusetts there is a death um there was a death of a black lgbtq high school student named michaela miller um she was found dead in the woods last month with the belt around her neck um her family has called for an independent autopsy and is fundraising for um uh, an independent investigation into what happened um, because there are a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of things that don't add up. And yet the Hopkinton police have deemed the death uh, not suspicious. Um, and this is, this is 
there's a theme. I mean, there were a lot of, there was a streak of, um, of BLM, different BLM protesters or people in the movement, um, family members getting, um, like quote unquote dying of suicide, but it was obviously more suspicious or under more suspicious circumstances. Um, feeling kind of more like lynchings that have happened in the past few years. Um, but they just don't get a lot of, um, attention. And this is just one where, um, you know, to be clear, there is, I don't think there's enough information, not enough publicly available information to really know, but I do think that, um, we should be treating with the amount of publicly available information there is, plus the family's desire for there to be some sort of independent investigation. I think we absolutely owe it to that family and not to let this type of um, death of a black child, you know, especially in light of what their family wants and in light of the facts, um, just go completely um, unheeded. Uh, there are some unfortunate, you know, requ- like reports, because I just... I had this one like noted from yesterday or something. And I just looked again today on Twitter and it seems like, um, Michaela's mother has had some history of violence. So that kind of is, is upsetting. Um, either way, if it was, you know, God forbid, like her mother or whoever, um, it seems like it doesn't, um, the facts don't point to it being not suspicious. Um, and, we should just listen to people when they say, Hey, uh, this doesn't make sense. Could we have an invest independent investigation into this? Um, just do it. Just do it. Let's, let's just go in that direction rather than saying, Nope, we decided it's not suspicious. We're the police. Like let's, let's not. Um, so anyway, there was a longer article with a lot of kind of details on what we know and what we don't know about the death. Um, but, uh, it's in Vox by Jamil Smith called, we should be talking about the death of Michaela Miller. So here it is. Michaela Miller. We see you. We see you. All right. CBS news. So they released an article, um, it was a really great story. The headline was ex-con skips job interview, takes shirt off his back to save car crash victim. So the story, um, this 32 year old man, Aaron, um, from Bridgeport, Connecticut, woke up at 5 AM, got dressed to go to a job interview. Um, he was on the bus and when he looked out the window, he saw a car hit a tree and flip over. Uh, the bus driver said he has his route to follow. He can't, and if um, if Aaron gets out to help, that he's, the bus is going to keep going without him. But Aaron Tucker still got out of the car or the bus, um, sprinted toward the car, dragged the passenger out. Shortly after the car like set a flame, um, you know, held held his hand, waiting for the EMTs. Um, just kind of stayed there with him. Um, literally saved his life was just a pretty pretty amazing story obviously missed his job interview um he said he wasn't even thinking about that at the time and i this is a great fucking story but it's like why is the title ex-con skips job interview takes her off his back to save car crash victim i think there's certainly validity in in trying to you know get the message across that just because someone's done time in jail it doesn't mean they're there's something wrong with them or they're a bad person you know of course, of course, of course. I think that we do need to humanize that, particularly when you consider how racist our um, prison systems are. And we can't be making moral judgments about people just because they've served time in jail. Here for that. But when you post this picture, 
of um, of this black man and you title the article ex-con skips job interview. It's just like, could you have phrased it a different way? Like local hero, Mrs. Job interview saving like saving someone's life from a car accident. Like it's just really uh, lazy, racist, fucked up um, titling. So I'm just seeing a CBS News for that choice of title um but he was uh mr tucker has been offered jobs since the story came out he was offered a tailored suit um and he's you know people have raised money for him which he said any money he gets is going to go toward taking care of his son um he said he got his ged while he was in jail and that he's hoping to be a role model for his son so awesome dude um yes mr tucker and we see you to cbs news for that fucking atrocity of a headline Ugh, we see you we see you those headlines i'm glad you called that out because it is just like often i just absorb those headlines and it's you know it's just like yeah no that's a fucked up framing we don't need that that's not an important part of the story at all um yeah so my we see you (laughs) I was hovering on this one. I'm a little like I'm going to lean into it because um, it's where I'm at right at this moment. OK, I reserve. Ooh, the right I'm curious. To my mind. What's she going to say? <laughs> um, I reserve the right to change my mind. But at this moment, we see you to John Mulaney. Ooh, oh, Olivia Munn. Yeah, because you know what? I am. At this moment, and um, my boyfriend helped me uh, come to this conclusion as we were talking it through of like, what just why, oh, why is the idea that he, the, the news that John Mulaney is dating Olivia Munn, and especially like four days, three days after the news of his divorce. And yes, I realize these things are not, I'm sure she didn't learn about the divorce on Monday and he began dating Olivia Munn. I get it. The timeline is assuredly something slightly different doesn't matter though because it's all a pretty crunch timeline in like the timeline of us knowing and loving John Mulaney and his relationship with his ex-wife or soon to be ex-wife um I don't like and I'm getting tired of comedians that I love or used to love um trafficking trading on specific like Um, traits about themselves that seem like they're being self-aware and that like we must love them because they're speaking to something about us, speaking about humanity. And it's an acknowledgement of like some grotesque or funny or fucked up thing. And like, thank goodness there's this funny, talented person who's like showing us our, our complicated, messy hearts and lives and who, you know, I'm so sick of being feeling betrayed by these people. It's it would be Louis C.K., it would be Aziz Ansari, and now John Mulaney. You know, and 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 I I he has so many times spoken about his wife in a way that was so cute and beautiful and funny and his life with his wife and Petunia and I get it you can his his pug Petunia the um or his French bulldog um you can change one can can certainly evolve in their life and grow away from someone and become a different person but this doesn't so much feel like you've become a different person so much as like you're going through some shit and um you're inflicting pain on your wife again now I've fully gone from like our very like modest discussion from last week to like, fuck you. And I realized that, but, um, 
It also feels like um, I, I've never been a huge fan of Olivia Munn's. And again, um, the boyfriend would jump in here and say, yeah, but you should watch the newsroom, to which I say maybe at some point. But in this moment, I haven't seen the newsroom and uh, I don't love her. And it seems from what I've read that she's kind of been like a little thirsty for John Mulaney in other moments and like kind of been a, a little aggressive about that. And I just would have hoped that maybe he would be um, not like all about that, all about that life, all about that moment, like kind of caving to someone, maybe playing to his ego. And, you know, again, full acknowledgement that I don't have any more details than what's been on reported on people.com and Twitter. But I, I do feel that I'm getting quite upset at, at, uh, feeling maybe tricked by, by a certain brand of comedian, um, male comedian who I have loved and found solace and, and joy and, um, you know, just eminent interest and adoration for, um, all those like ways that he wove musical theater into SNL sketches and, uh, just random niche little things. Um, but that really spoke to everyone and, and, and it kind of like an, ah, shucks, I don't look like I'm someone who could do anything. And my, that's my wife, you know? And it's sort of like, did you just like fuck everyone over? Did you just kind of trick us? Cause you, cause that was an act and we fell for it. I'm just asking, I'm asking questions, you know, <laughs> just asking questions. Just asking questions. <laughs> so I would love for him to redeem himself. And I get he doesn't really owe, he just definitely doesn't owe me anything. He maybe owes his wife something. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm a little feeling a little jaded on the, uh, on the, the male comedians who have, who have been atop my list of favorite comedians, you know, and who I would just never have expected. And that was, that was Louis CK. That was Aziz Ansari. And that is now, um, John Mulaney. And I'm tired of putting asterisks next to comedians that I like. So fucking stop. We see you. We, I guess we see you. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. <laughs> you know, I want to be proven wrong, but I have like a feeling that he's just going to kind of keep tripping into like a worse version of himself. And I don't want that. I want to be, I so desperately want to be wrong and have to like come back on here and be like, turns out I'm feeling more sympathetic towards him. But in this moment, mm, no, Not so much. Well, yeah. And it's like, if I were his, his ex, I would just be like, do you have to like publicly do this right now? You know, like even if he's going to go off and like immediately date someone after rehab, which, um, I think most people agree, like mental health experts agree. That's like not a great idea in the year after, but even if he's going to go off and do that and it's going to be Olivia Munn, um, does it have to be like, do we have to know about it yet? You know, I feel like that would really sting if I were his ex. Like, okay, four days after that's public that we're getting a divorce. Now I can see you and Olivia Munn plastered all over. I see that at church. And let the record show she rolled her eyes when she said Olivia Munn. <laughs> <laughs> let the record show. Yeah, I don't love her, but I have no valid reason to. So I'm like, is it just like internalized misogyny? But what? But why her? I yeah. feel like I've read things over the years, too. Um, but I'm like, am I being unfair? So what if I were like a public, like an actual public f figure and people just decided they didn't like me? Um, cause I don't, I don't, I don't know. 
I don't was know. Was she on Daily Show and she wasn't funny? Because I thought that she was on the... But I couldn't... I know. And I did read about the thirsting and the tweets toward John Mulaney while he was married, which I always think is in, in poor taste. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't know how she wronged me, but I did roll my eyes because I, I, I don't know. I feel a certain kind of way, which is not necessarily justified, but I'll certainly try to circle back and justify it for myself. Yeah, I'll um, try to back justify it. Yeah, I'll try to do that. Um, a good thing, uh, we, didn't, we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but one thing that is good um, that sprouts from something heinously awful. <laughs> As most of our good things do. <laughs> yeah, is that the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services announced that gay and transgender people would once again be protected from discrimination in health care, um, which is a good thing because under the Trump administration, there were federal laws banning the federal laws that were banning discrimination on the basis of sex defined sex as gender assigned at birth and excluded transgender people from protections. So um, it is good to see this reversed. It's awful that it had to be reversed. Um, and there are also, you know, there's terrible um, unjust legislation out there against so much of it out there against trans people right now. Um, so it's not like mission accomplished, but it is a step in the right direction. And for that, I will call it a good thing. It is. Yes, absolutely. A good thing. Yay. Yay. <laughs> oh, well, all right. Uh, Feminists Without Mystique is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Um, and uh, we will see you guys all back here next week. 